Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world, join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Finka Yurkovic. Finka is an author, international speaker, workshop leader, and coach. She brings over two decades of experience in corporate Canada in the financial services industry with an expertise in sales, leadership, communication, and coaching. Finka firmly believes when you bring authentic leadership and a mission-based mindset to business, you can achieve inner fulfillment, outer success, and leave a transformational impact. And that is why she developed her framework, Sell From Love. Thanks so much for joining me today, Finka. Oh, thank you, Diane. I am so looking forward to our conversation today. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. I am as well, because this, you know, authentic leadership and sell from love is so, uh, you know, I, I'm just so with you on this, but <laughs> it's great when, when the like-minded come together to have a wonderful conversation. <laughs> exactly. That is exactly right. And I should have mentioned that you're also the author of sell from love. So yes, yes. That's an, another great thing. So, so I just want to start from the go. My, my first question for you is what led you to create the self and love framework? So I've spent, uh, I'm going to say two and a half decades in, in some form of selling. So in my days back at in the financial services world, I was either, you know, I was in a financial advisor and commercial banking, and then eventually uh, moved into sales leadership roles, eventually into sales strategy and then found myself coaching uh, sales leaders and their teams. And it was interesting, you know, through the whole process, what I started to, you know, when I, I'll put in quotations, sold well, (laughs) there were certain things that went well. And when selling didn't go so well, I started to notice that there were other things that were happening, whether it was in my selling or the teams that I was leading or the teams that I was coaching. And what I started to notice were that these, there were these two distinct ways in which we sell. We can either sell from a place of love or we can sell from a place of fear. 
And so even just kind of, you know, kind of even sensing into what, what is it like to sell from love? And that's where that whole notion of, you know, we show up as our authentic selves. We show our true colors of who we are. We don't pretend to be someone else where when we're selling from fear, there's this whole notion of, we, we try to pretend to be someone we're not, or we got to prove our worth or our value. And there's this kind of this persona we take on. And when we sell from love, there's no persona. You are you. And how do you fully embrace all of that? And so there was this, you know, this, this moment of really realizing, you know, when we sell from love, we have really good outcomes. And when we sell from fear, the outcomes don't always turn out as, as planned or as good. And I had kind of a couple of those moments in my career where, you know, things went really well. And I knew it was attributed to this way of selling and mm -hmm. sell from love. The whole entire framework is built on these three premises that number one, you need to love yourself. That means love who you are, come from that place of authentic leadership, uh, figure out what you're amazing at. I call it your brilliant difference. What are those gifts, those talents, that expertise that only you bring and really uh, use them to connect with your clients and help them solve their problems. The second piece to the self from love framework is really about empathetic communication, having the ability to put ourselves in our client's shoes. And all that is about loving our client. And so often what ends up happening, and this is where I find we get tripped up is we, when we're selling from fear, we're selling a transaction. Uh, we're selling, you know, details about a product or a service, but when we're selling from love and when we truly love our client, you know, you say this, like we come from a place of curiosity and openness. And so what we want to be doing then is, um, you know, selling a, we're really looking to sell or provide a facilitate a transformation for our clients. And then finally, the third element from when we're selling from this posture of, of love and not fear is we need to love our offer. And all that means is really looking at the thing that we're selling. Now you could be selling, you know, your expertise, your personal brand, you could be selling a mortgage product or, um, you know, real estate services, uh, whatever that, uh, thing that you're selling, that's, um, that's that thing. You really have to love it. You have to believe yeah. in it. You have to, you know, be able to, I'm going to say, you know, not, we're all not going to go up and scream off the rooftops, but there, we can't be afraid or shy away from sharing with others, how you can serve and help them. And really looking at what you are selling as an extension of your purpose. So whether you're an organization and you are living out your organizational and company purpose, looking at your offer as an extension of how do you make change in the world, or as an individual who, you know, a sales professional, um, a consultant, a coach, an advisor, the, the thing that you're selling is here to make change in the world and see it as a way to live out your, your, your purpose in your life. And so that's kind of, you know, for me, that was, has been my experience of when selling goes well, you got to love yourself. You got to love your client and you got to love your offer. And that's that foundational premise of when we sell from love, we get, we get outcomes that surpass what we even could expect. Um, and our clients can expect. Boy, this is so great. It, and it's weird too, because I was just in a conversation this morning with a group of people and we were talking about, I mean, not about this specifically, but the conversation was around um, not knowing how to have conversations, shying away from certain conversations in, in, you know, with our clients and our prospects because um, of what's going on and feeling like the clients have gotten to this, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not transactional, but um, commoditization uh, of, of services and whatnot. And, and I, my, 
viewpoint was, listen, start with I don't know. Stop assuming and, and putting all of these beliefs and thoughts out there. Start with I don't know and then go find out because that'll then tell you what further conversation to have, but you have the right and the obligation to be asking these questions so that you can find out what is really happening, what is truly happening, and then you're connecting from a place of problem solving, you know, of loving your client, of caring about them, and not from a place of um, like feeling personally, uh, you know, shot at because, oh, you don't value what I do. Yeah, exactly. And I think I, I was having a similar conversation yesterday. It's, it's in the air. Um, <laughs> um, so there's this whole idea, you know, that, that whole notion, like, you know, our customers know best or our clients know best. Yeah. And they might know best with the information that they have available to uh-huh. them in this moment. Right. Yeah. And so it's our job as, you know, Um, as advisors, as, you know, trusted guides that are kind of, you know, walking alongside them to really, you know, be the curious curator of asking those questions to help them uncover, oh, there's something more here that I haven't yet discovered, or there's something more here. There's a bigger problem than I thought, or I could be solving the wrong problem, but it's how we are approaching those client conversations that helps them see that. And I love what you said. I think the best thing we can do when we're selling our stuff is come in with that, you know, childlike approach of, I don't know. Um, and really being that naive, because when we are that, that's, that's when we're open and that's what we're not kind of, um, trying to, you know, I, am almost like my hands are moving in sort of this way of directing a conversation to go where we want it to go. And the client is not directing the conversation to go where they want it to go, but we're actually using this conversation to figure out what's the real problem that needs to be solved. And it comes from, you know, um, asking, being, I'm going to say like a stupendous listener, uh, and, you know, listening and asking those questions from a place of curiosity and naive naiveness, like of just like, I really don't know. And that then helps the client, you know, you become the smartest person in the room because you help them discover what they really needed to know. Right. Right. And so I just want to make sure that I really understand this, this, um, you know, selling from a place of fear. So is, is that, like fear that I'm not going to hit quota, fear that people are going to say no to me, fear that I'm inadequate. Is it that kind of thing? Yeah. So when we approach a a conversation with a client and there's this sense of that, there's a fear that, that you might be perceived as inadequate or you might not close, or you've got this, um, outcome you have to achieve fears in the room with you and it Mm. will, um, I say it'll, it'll, um, diffuse the potential that that conversation can have because now this veil of fear is in there with you. Mm-hmm. And so you could just imagine like, if we're going in and I'm afraid they're going to say no, or I'm going in to have this conversation, I'm feeling the pressure to make the deal close. How are we going to show up in that conversation? Yeah, right. What we just talked about, we're not going to listen well, because I got to get the sale. So what's going to happen? I'm going to direct, I'm going to yeah. tell, I'm not going to listen. And I might solve a, an immediate need. That might be the commoditized product or solution we need to provide, but we're never going to go any further because we didn't, 
we weren't open. We weren't curious. We didn't listen because we were so afraid that pressure to get this deal closed or the pressure to show up in a way that you might not get that no or that, and the clients are going to feel that. And so, yeah, that, that's that part of, you know, showing up in that, that posture of fear. And often what happens is we're not even aware or conscious that it's happening. And that, that's that part of, you know, to, that's what I love about just differentiating it, selling from love versus selling from fear. Mm-hmm. And then what we've got to start talking about is understanding what is selling from fear look like for you as an, a professional, what triggers it? Cause that's when we can actually start doing something. Ah, I notice when I am in these high stakes conversations, you know, or I'm presenting in front of senior executives and making my pitch that's when the fear thing comes in. That's when the fear of inadequacy or insecurities or things like that. And then we can actually start doing something about it to proactively manage those fears before we come there. Selling from love doesn't mean fear is not in the room. Fear mm-hmm. can be in the room. However, how we approach the conversation is going to be very different. So for instance, I could be making a presentation in a high stakes situation. So um, let's say I'm, I'm making a pitch to an executive team who's going to sign on some of my corporate training programs. That's what I'm selling. And they want me to come in and make a presentation of my offerings. I could be afraid because I'm like, oh, like there's a lot riding on this. This could be like a multi six figure contract and be super excited and really want this. Right. Mm -hmm. And fear could be in the room. Like I'm afraid, what if they say no, or what if I'm not presenting it in the way that they're going to relate to, or what if they don't like the packages or the programs that I'm outlining or, or proposing in this presentation, all those things can happen. And I need to acknowledge that I am, uh, that, that fear is in the room with me. However, how I approach it, it could be, all right, you know what, even if they don't like it, if they don't love it as much as I do, I am being, I'm going to be okay. There's there, my attachment to the outcome of what they say does not determine my value or my worth. And so that's that love yourself posture. The second is, you know, is also looking at that notion of not being attached to a particular outcome, because even the outcome, like I could be like, this could be a multi six figure contract that actually could be a very limiting outcome. It might be a multi-year, multi-six-figure contract if I'm not you know, fixated on this one solution. And so we also need to be non-attached. They could also say no, and that needs to be okay with us. Um, the fact that I have a chance to make this presentation and make this proposal to a potential client to open them up to the service or product or service solution that you're presenting, that has to be good enough in that moment. And so- there's this, you know, we still, even in the midst of fear, we still approach the conversation, the proposal, the pitch, but we come from a place of love. So we're going to still be kind and compassionate towards ourselves. We're going to put ourselves in our client's shoes and do our best to see the world from their point of view. And we're going to figure out, you know, how can we make this offer and present it in a way that is going to provide them the transformation they are seeking. Yeah, this, this is, uh, oh my gosh. I mean, and I especially love being detached from the outcome. That's something I talk about all the time, because when you're attached to the outcome, you have outcome bias. You've already decided what's going to happen here. So you, the way that you communicate is toward that outcome, not toward reality. That might be the outcome, but it might not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I found, I found in my experience that anything that I think of is actually smaller than anything that all actually yeah. comes through. 
right? Like it's like my paradigm can only offer me so much. And if we can be non-attached and even if we don't get it, the, the client to sign or say yes, that does not mean that that client may refer, recommend you to someone else right. that might open another door. It might mean they, it's a not now or not yet, yeah, maybe right. another time. And you know what? Maybe that client saying no is actually is a good thing because it yeah. creates space for the other ideal client to come into your, into your, you know, into your, into your realm. So I think we've got to be okay to, because it's reality, like, you know, because it's the reality, the reality is they said no. <laughs> and so the reality, and so we need to be okay with that reality and not attached to manipulate something to happen. It still does not mean that we don't, we stop learning and growing, which means, you know, let's say I go and I make that pitch or make that presentation, or I send a proposal that the client said no to there's still the opportunity. Okay, let me go revisit that proposal. Let's go revisit that presentation and say, okay, what can I have done better? Uh, where was it amiss? Might even be asking the client feedback on what was about the proposal presentation that didn't meet your needs or fit what you were looking for. And you might be get the exact feedback. Oh, okay, good. I get it. I get why you wouldn't sign up for this, but it might also be something that you can go back to the drawing board and say, okay, how can we do better next time when we get a similar situation like this? And so just because you get a no, it is, it also, it gives you more information. What is in that no that will help you uh, get better or better results? There's a, another beautiful body of work um, by Andrea Waltz and her, her husband wrote it. It's called go for no. I don't know. Oh, I've read it. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Right. Again, it's yeah. that go for no, don't be afraid, go for right. no. Uh, and from there, that's where the yeses come from. Yeah. Yep. And, and uh, it's so true. And, and I just love it because, okay, so you can always learn from it. Plus there's a reason why you're not doing business with that company, that person, whatever it is right now. But as you said, it doesn't mean they're not going to refer you quite frankly, the more authentic you are, the more you, you are, and, and the more, um, curious and, and, you know, just really being in that moment, the more likely it is that they're going to refer you even if they never do business with you because you're trustworthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And we, we feel trust, we yeah. feel authentic authenticity. And so they might not see you as a fit for them ever, but yeah. because you come, they're like, they're going to want you somewhere in their in their, in their network, it's like, you've got to deal with this person because they're so awesome at this. It wasn't what we were looking, but you know, you yeah. are need this and you got to, you know, talk to Diane because she is brilliant yeah. at this work. And again, listen that again, I'll go back to that first principle of loving yourself. When we embrace who we are and that's us as individual leaders and professionals in our work, but also as an organization on what your mission and your purpose is as an organization and what that brand is and what you stand for in those values. When you truly own that, there's no more needing to kind of try to fit into our client's box. Mm. You have this um, presence that you're already mm. bringing and they're going to be coming to your box. <laughs> like they'll be, you know, gravitating to you because you're showing up authentically. Um, and living up to those values and that brand and that expertise that you're putting out there into, into your work, into the world. Wow, that's interesting. Whether you're a seasoned designer or a total novice, with Visme, you can create engaging, dynamic, branded content that makes people ask, how did you do that? 
Visit tinyurl.com slash seizevisme to explore. If you're a small business owner or salesperson who struggles with getting the sales results you're looking for, grab a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon and wherever books are sold. And if you haven't seen all audible.com has to offer, you don't know what you're missing. Sign up for a free trial at audibletrial.com slash business growth. So, gosh, I have so many questions. Um, so I, I imagine, and just from conversations I've had with people, I, I'm thinking this is potentially true, that it's not necessarily an easy transition from fear-based selling to love-based selling. So uh, how does someone still let fear be in the room, but not let it dictate what's going on? I I mean, you know, like, are there affirmations they tell themselves or processes or some sort of structure to the, you know, what is yes. it? <laughs> so how do, how do I keep, how do I keep moving forward? Cause I got to put myself out there. And at the same time, I'm scared to do it. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, of course. So part of this work is one, number one, acknowledging that fear is there. And so we can't do anything about it until we say, ah, I see, I'm afraid. And usually the telltale sign is, you know, I really want to post this article on LinkedIn, but I'm And then usually it's afraid, I'm worried, I'm anxious, I'm nervous. (laughs) There's some kind of like word that takes form of fear. And we've got to call that out. And that's like step number one. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's, I I, I love to, and I I love that you you said affirmations. Um, One of the practices that I teach in the book um, is uh, called power priming. And what power priming is all about is, you know, really getting your brain warmed up to the idea of, you know, for instance, posting that LinkedIn article or picking up the phone and making that call or hitting send on that proposal. We'll use, you know, those are kinds of examples that people get kind of, ah, hold my breath for a moment. (laughs) Um, And so power priming is all about, so when we feel fear, you know, it activates our old brain and it's saying, don't go do that scary thing because you might get a no. And that means rejection. And that might say something about who you are and your identity. And, you know, our brain wants that fear piece, part of our brain saying, no, let's keep you safe. And the safest thing is don't post it because if you don't post it, guess what? No, one's going to say, no, you won't be rejected. And you're going to, it's going to be all wonderful. You'll be safe. So that's what, that's what, that's what's happening. But that part of our brain doesn't also notice or see what our new brain is saying. There's this unlimited potential and impact you have. You can, you know, make a difference in other people's lives. You can make money doing this work and have an amazing life for you and your family. It doesn't, it cares about that, but not as much as being safe. And so that's what it's trying to do. It's trying to keep us safe. So what we can do is we can take this whole notion of power priming and power priming is all about warming up that old brain to say, Hey, I know it's scary and I know it's going to take us outside of our comfort zone, but let's give it a try. So we can get to the new brain part that's saying all the potential possibilities over here and all this wonderful abundance that you can get and grow with is over here. And so the, the affirmations go in this order. So the first thing we need to do is frame it in a willingness statement. So I am willing. 
And so when we say something like, I am willing to post this article on LinkedIn, I am willing to hit send on this proposal, I am willing to do this presentation. It's like all of a sudden we're taking the, uh, I don't know if, do you, even if say it, say it, I am willing, like there's this, just like an ease yeah. pressure kind of just starts to lessen off of that versus I don't want to, I can't, I'm scared. It's like, I am willing to post, right? Yeah. I love that. Okay. So there's, that's number one. Number two, after we say, I'm willing, I am willing. We say, I choose to. And when we say I choose, all of a sudden it's like, all right, I'm making the conscious choice of actually choosing to do this activity. All right. Then step three is I believe I am, or I believe I can. So I believe I am posting. I believe I can hit send. There's this now belief that I can do this with confidence, with authenticity and with ease. So we say, I believe. And then the fourth statement, we say, I am. And it's like, a, it's like a bridge. It's a bridge to go from willingness to conscious choice, to belief that you can do this action, to finally doing it. And it starts to transmute the energy that fear paralyzes us in from actually moving from inaction to action. And so that's a quick, you know, again, it could be for three days, you might be just saying, I'm willing to post, I'm willing to post, I'm willing to post. And then on day three, I'm choosing to I believe I am. And then by the end of the day, you're hitting post on that post. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. I, I, I love this for so many reasons. One, because it is a, a process. It's gradual, right? You're not saying to people, oh, just go do it. Right. It, it, it's priming. them. I love that priming statements, you know, getting yourself psyched up that mm-hmm. this is, I'm going to start small and I'm going to work myself up because when I get this comfort around, I am willing. And I realized that didn't kill me. Okay. Then I choose to is empowering because now I get to have some sort of control over this thing. It's my choice. And then I'm doing, and I am, is that the order it goes yeah. in? Yeah. yeah. I believe, I believe. So there's ah, this belief, right. right? Like I believe, cause if you can believe it, you know, Napoleon Hill has this beautiful saying, if you could, if you conceive it and you believe it, you can achieve it. Yeah. And so belief is the, is the bridge to achieving it. So you came up with this idea or you've got this sense, you've got to move forward with this call or this proposal, this presentation, then you, there's this belief you need to, but before belief, you have to be willing to believe you need to choose to believe. And then you hit the belief. And then the final step is I am, and then you're moving into the, the doing state that I am doing this. I am taking this action. And that might be picking up the phone might be hitting publish. And then you just, you just keep moving. <laughs> you keep <laughs> moving and you rinse and repeat and you do right. that again and you just right. do it again. Right. Yeah. And then it just becomes it, it, the scary goes away, I would think, because you realize that you're getting positive results, not negative. Mm-hmm. And you, and yeah, exactly. Because you're, and you're finally, you're getting, I would say even add to that is you're getting different results because when we don't uh-huh. hit publish or play or pick yeah. up the phone, when those things don't happen, we don't have new information and the lack of new information keeps us still instilled in fear. And then what ends up happening is we either are starting to um, rationalize. I, I, I always call it like I'm making reasons for why I can't sell. <laughs> I don't have time. Um, I need to hire another, you know, assistant or a coordinator, or mm-hmm. I need this paperwork off my desk or, you know, 
um, we're all living and working in our homes. And so, you know, the interruptions in the day and it's like, yeah, those might, so if we're making, if we're saying those things, that's, we could also be in the land of fear. And those are all, you know, it's legit. Like it looks legit. There's reasons why I'm not putting myself out there and, and making calls and, you know, putting out offers at the same time it's, I say, prudent of us to say, you know, is it because I'm, there might be some fear in the room with me and I'm afraid to put myself out there. Right. Right. Yeah. Huh. Wow. This is, I'm just loving every minute of this. Um, so I, I do want to talk a little bit, if you don't mind about aggressive tactics in sales, because I I'm curious, um, if you have a, a thought around why they are used so often in sales, because it, it doesn't seem like they should work. Have you found that they work in any way, yeah. any regard? No. Yeah. Yeah. I find, uh, you know, there, 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 you know how like there's, um, if, if you take a spectrum and mm-hmm. on one spectrum, we put aggressive selling. And then on the other side, we put, let's say passive selling. We'll call it passive. Even you would call it passive, we'd call it passive selling, right? Okay. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Passive selling on the other side of it. And so there, that's the person that does nothing. And then the other person's just like pushing and pushing and pushing. Uh, and, and so again, there's this, the extremism of, how we've pictured selling is we've pictured it in that aggressive. So it's like we paint with a maybe one or 2% of sales approaches. We take it because it seems not easy because <laughs> it's really hard <laughs> and it doesn't give us the outcomes that we want, but then we paint, like we do the peanut butter approach and we just paint it all with this one brush because it might be the most loudest and most um, the loudest kind of approach in the room. Uh, what I have found in my experience is that, and I, I, I even think I, I did not, I think I know I came across it in Daniel Pink's book to sell as human. He talks about, you know, extroversion and introversion and, you know, who are the best salespeople. And, you know, you'd think it's extroverts or even highly extroverted individuals. And it's actually not, you know, it's, they lean somewhere in the middle, the ambivert. And, and so there's this whole idea of, you know, what if selling was something in between? What if there is a way in which you, it's not aggressive selling and it's not passive selling. So you're not doing anything and it's not aggressive where you're just pushing, poking, manipulating, and prodding, none of that kind of stuff, but there's this place in between. Um, and that has this, you know, natural, you know, sometimes the client is leading more and sometimes you are leading more. And there's this collaborative, cooperative, win-win-win mm. solution, which means you win, the client wins, but also, you know, I, I call the the biggest landscape, like the world wins, the world being the economy, the environment, the political landscape, uh, you know, humanity, like there's a bigger win for all of us because we're doing business in this way. And that middle way, I would say is, you know, you know, we all call it a different way. I know in my way, it's, it's the selling from love way. It's not one from one spectrum to the other. It's, it is embracing that middle way that it's, it's collaborative. It's cooperative. It's win, win, win all the way around, uh, you know, the aggressive approaches, they may have worked for some people in some situations, but mm-hmm. I know in my experience, it's when I've bought from that place, 
I've never felt good. Um, I've, you, you, I know what it, cause mm -hmm. that pressure made me buy. I didn't like that experience. I will never go buy from them again. And I've been in those situations where I've been pressured to sell that way, especially in my banking days. And those didn't feel good either putting that pressure on my clients and that didn't feel good either. So, you know, I think for each of us is trying to find what it, what feels good for you in your own way of selling. And it's not even selling it's serving, helping and building relationships with people and using it to make a difference. You know, you just mentioned something that, that I, earlier I was going to ask you about, and then I forgot. And that is this, when you were talking about, you know, when you were pressured into selling a certain way of the banking industry, I find a lot of times that salespeople know, like, don't like selling the way they're being asked to sell. It's uncomfortable. It's unnatural. It, it's, you know, pushy. It's all of those things, but they have to, because they're being told to. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, this real disconnect with leadership around what works. That's right. So, do, do you think this is, I'm just curious about this because I get asked this question and I have an answer, but um, do you think it's possible for a salesperson to convince their manager to let them sell from love, to let them sell from a place of authenticity and collaboration and, and all of that instead of the ridiculousness that goes on. Yeah, I believe yes. And I, I'm a walking billboard, an example of that. Um, if I can I tell you a quick story of what happened yeah. in my career, yeah. um, especially because I was a person in that situation. So when an organization or when leaders are putting pressure on their teams to sell, what do we started talking about earlier? We said, when we're attached to outcomes, all of a sudden that's actually going to like, it's going to make the selling conversation not go as openly, curiously, organically, and magnificently as it could, because we need to drive to a particular outcome. Right. Leaders are pressured to make sales because we had to hit quota or target at the end of the month or at the end of the week or end of the quarter. Many organizations are managed on quarterly basis, right? So, yeah. you know, there's dividends being declared. There's, uh, you know, the market's going to determine is that stock valuable based on quarterly. And so where they're, they're being measured by meeting shareholder expectations, not all stakeholder expectations. So we can see where the pressure is coming. And as a result, that pressure is coming from that place of fear. If we don't meet quota, you know, there's all this at risk that's happening out in the marketplace and it'll affect the stock price, blah, blah, blah. So it won't go down that rabbit hole right now. So, um, so we can see that it's coming from there. So I was hired by an organization to go in and lead their, 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 their sales team. And they hired me for all the right reasons. They, you know, I came with a, a, a really great track record. I had uh, certain things that they liked that, um, how I approached selling. Um, I was also very different from their current leadership team. And so they wanted some of the diversity in that new perspective. And I was taking a team that was like, you know, it was, it was the bottom of the bottom. They were ranked 298 out of 300. And we, you know, there was like, there's a lot riding on it because if this um, team did well, then the whole region did well. There was a lot, there's a lot of pressure on this team to perform. 
And so I come in and, you know, if you're a bottom performing team, that means there's certain things that are broken and not working, you know, client loyalty wasn't where it needed to be. Um, the, even the, the skill and capabilities of the actual team, um, employee engagement, uh, there's so much operational things going on. We had to fix, but five months in Diane, uh, the results weren't happening fast enough. So, you know, I didn't go from 298 to number one in five months. And <laughs> my boss was feeling the pressure. And guess what? That pressure came on me. Yeah. And so uh, they enacted some, oh, it was so painful. They, they enacted some framework where we would have to every day we were measuring like literally it was like mid, man, like digits and widgets. I call them, it was like widget digit transactional selling. It was trans. So you had to report um, at the end of every day, how many uh, calls, appointments, uh, sales uh, transactions you had. It was so micromanaging. But on top of that, you had a call at 9 a.m., a call at noon and a call at the end of the day to debrief. At the same time, as a sales leader, you're hopping around to every person's office. What are you working on? Who, who are you calling? Oh. What did you see? It was, it was just like, oh, this is insane. And so I, I, that wasn't the way I was. And I, I just said, I can't do that. I can't yeah. do that. It's not me. I can't do that. You hired me to do this job and I need to do it this way. And if you want the results that I know I will get you, you have to allow me to do that. But the pressure was hard on him too. And so what ended up happening, um, it was about... I ended up, I caved, I caved. Okay, fine. I'll do it your way. I'll do it your way because you have, because I'm, you're getting, I, they're giving me the paycheck. I have to do it his way. And what ended up happening two weeks later, I was uh, walking around the office and I started experiencing chest pain oh. and I'm like, oh, this, and my left arm went numb and I'm like, oh my God, oh, I no. think I'm having a heart attack. Like I literally panicked, you know? And at this point, like I'm in this fear-based environment and I'm like, well, if I tell anybody that I'm, I need to go to the hospital, then they're going to think I can't handle the pressure and the stress, right? And then they're going to like fire me. And I'm like, all right. So I grabbed my purse. I literally drove myself to the hospital. Oh my. Uh-huh. And I tell them and they're like, you know, they see a, a young woman and they're like, okay, no, let's get you in. And so they had me all, you know, wired up. And I remember lying there and I'm thinking to myself, like, I was just like, like, I can't, this can't be my life. Like, I can't yeah. do it this way. This is wrong. And, you know, trying to prove and be what they wanted me to be and stop being who I was and showing up from that place, like it's going to cost me my life. And so by that point, I knew I had a lot riding on it. It wasn't just a job. It was my life, my life and my health and well-being. And so I thought, you know, and I said to myself, if I make it out of life, I'm going to do this do diff thing differently. And I literally walked out and I, it wasn't a heart attack. It was a panic attack. And I ah. never had one of those. And thankfully it was just that, but it was also like a warning sign. Like you can't yeah. compromise your integrity and your values and how you do what you do for the sake and stake. Cause there's so much at stake at this. Yeah. And so then I went back and I had the hard conversation um, and I was coming from that place of love and integrity. And I had, I really came to the terms of, if they say, thank you, but no, thank you. Um, and I had to leave, I would be fine with that. Mm -hmm. And so I said, either you're going to give me back my team and let me run it the way I know I can make this successful. And if you do, I know we will turn the ship around, but you got to trust me. And there was something in that moment that we both, you know, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it now. And he, he gave it back to me and he said, fine, wow. do it. And he'll, 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 you know, have the 
hear the grunt of it from the top that he had to do, but I'm so grateful for him for giving me that chance. And we did amazing like client mm. loyalty results, sales results, the team had never seen before. And it was from that place. But again, you know, it was a great story and a, you know, a, a transformational one for me, but a beautiful example. So yes, when you find yourself in situations that it doesn't feel right to you or out of alignment or not in integrity, you got to figure out how to get to that place of integrity and alignment for you first. And then having those conversations becomes a really important place because they might say to you, well, that's, if you can't do it our way, then you got to find another way or go on the highway or whatever that saying might be, but you know, we need to come. And so at that point I had come to terms with that, even if it meant they, I lose my job, I was okay with it. I wasn't attached. So see the attachment, if I was attached, it wouldn't have worked. I know it wouldn't have worked that way anyway. Like it would have, it would have been something different, but that non-attachment is so important. But again, that becomes important for us to do our own work in order to show up in the workplace and in order to show up with those, having those really open, transparent conversations, but we need to be okay with that consequence too, because the consequence might be, they might say, yeah, we don't, we don't want your hair either yeah, because we want to do it this way. And that's when you got to go find a company, an organization that has and honors the values that you do. Boy, thank you so much for sharing that story. Uh, And thank God, you know, it it wasn't um, a heart attack and you were able to then have that conversation. I find, you know, one of the things I I really respect about that is that I've even noticed in, in my world that when you, when I am detached from the outcome, I am stronger in my conviction and it gets communicated that way. So it is, it is received differently, right? The way that we then show up is different. The way we communicate is different. It's stronger. It's, it's a salad is the word that keeps coming into my head and, and people feel that and hear that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I would say if, and you know, as, as you're listening to this conversation, if you take one thing away standing from a posture of detachment that if you can only do that, it'll transform your sales results. Um, It will transform how you show up, how authentically show up, because if I'm not attached to an outcome, then, you know, I, I have this other saying that I say to myself often, especially when I find fear come looming in my, you know, sales transactions or leadership in some way. Um, I have, I have this thing I say to myself, care so much. You don't care. And what it means is I care so much about you, the client, or I care so much about this service that I'm providing, or I care so much about the advice and guidance that we're going to, you know, journey on with together that I don't care about what you think of me in it, that if you like me, or if you, you know, um, like the, like, if you like, like that, there's no identity um, attachment to what you think of me in it. Because if I don't care about what you think of me, then it makes me more open and willing to share what I have. Mm -hmm. As soon as we tie ourselves to it and say, Oh, but what if they don't like it or like, cause like it means like me. (laughs) So that self, that self identification to our business results or our title or how many um, accolades we get on LinkedIn or likes on that post. That's the thing that, you know, I'm going to say like just ruins it all because it's right. 
it's it's the experience and it's great to feel good for the goodness you do. So I think that's another important part. You got to feel good for the work that you put out there and the likes that you get. However, at the same time, feel it, celebrate it and recognize your value through that, but don't be attached to it. It's right. not you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's, I usually say to um, my clients when, when we're working on leadership that you should seek to be respected, not liked. Because mm. once you're respected, you will be liked. But if you are seeking to be liked, you will be neither. Exactly. Because that liked is you're not, you're going to contort yourself yeah. to everyone else's like, like box and everyone's like box is very different. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, exactly. yeah, it, it, it's like, you know, just look at a social media feed. Not everyone, you don't, you go through, you scroll that feed and you don't like everything there. Right. You like there are certain things you like. Now, if we're looking to go and get liked by every person that looks at every post we make or anything that we put out there, that's a completely impossible task. Yeah. Impossible. Yeah. Right. So you are totally setting yourself up for failure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh my there's gosh. Something, there's something, Go one more last thing on that. There's something yeah. I know for me in my own personal experience, the more I've liked myself and that whole notion of, you know, when we self from love, the more I loved myself and who I am, the less I need the liking from other people, ah. the less I seek to be liked by others. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're, you know, the journey to um, figuring out how to be less attached is just being okay with who you are and what you have right now. And all of a sudden that, you know, it allows us to then show up with less attachment because I don't have to be or pretend to be something I'm not. Yeah, right. It's not as much work. Not at all. It's, yeah. it's like, we probably can save like another two hours in our day. Yeah. Imagine that for productivity, tip, product, productivity <laughs> tips, 101, stop pretending <laughs> to be someone you're not. <laughs> I love that. Oh my goodness. Boy, this is just, this is so great. I so appreciate you spending this time with us and sharing this information. This is, as we were talking, I just kept thinking, oh my gosh, I know so many people who need this book. Oh my gosh, I know so many people who need to listen to this episode. Just, oh, thank you so oh. much for, for having me. And I've loved every moment of it. So thank you so much. I'm so glad. Now, will you tell the listeners how they can find you and how they can find your book, please? Absolutely. So uh, you can find uh, me and the book and everything about it uh, at sellfromlove.com. And you'll find uh, the book is also available at uh, on Amazon and major book uh, retailers, as well as um, if you, uh, there's a Sell From Love podcast. So if you're also a podcast listener and you want to learn more about it, that's another place to listen in. And if you're curious about whether or not you're selling from love or selling from fear, if you visit the website, there is a test, uh, an assessment that you can go through that gives you uh, where your gap is. So is it you need to love yourself more? Is it to love your client? Is it to love your offer and offers you a few strategies on how to go about that? Wow. That's awesome. Cool. Yes. Yes. Thank you. My gosh. I, I really, th this was fabulous. And, and folks, head on over and check out, find out if you're operating from a position of fear and where that fear is. Wonderful. You know, what Dr. Phil says, you cannot change what you don't acknowledge. Exactly, so. exactly. <laughs> Wise words. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you. 
Thank you, Diane. I so appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.